Good morning, and welcome to Simply Science. It's Saturday, January 20th. On today's show, we explore the identification of long COVID signatures in a comprehensive analysis of blood proteins and delve into the fascinating world of biomimicry where nature inspires science. Plus, we discuss the insights from four female scientists facing early career crossroads. This coverage and more, up next. I'm David, and you're listening to Simply Science. We start off with a breakthrough study where researchers have developed a computational model that predicts the likelihood of a person developing long COVID. This model is based on an analysis of over 6,500 proteins found in blood, and the team compared blood samples from people who tested positive for COVID-19 with ones from healthy adults, finding significant differences in the composition of proteins. Here to discuss more on this is our health and science correspondent, Abby. Abby, can you tell us more about these findings? Absolutely, David. The researchers found that proteins involved in immune responses, blood clotting, and inflammation could be key biomarkers in diagnosing and monitoring long COVID. This condition, which affects an estimated 65 million people worldwide, has been linked to more than 200 symptoms, including brain fog, fatigue, chest pain, and breathlessness, which can persist for months or even years after a SARS-CoV-2 infection. Can you tell us more about the study participants and the method of analysis used by the researchers? The study included 39 healthy adults and 113 people who had tested positive for COVID-19, of whom 40 had long COVID. The researchers analyzed 6,596 proteins across 268 blood samples, which were collected from participants during the acute phase and again six months after. They found several differences in the blood of people with long COVID compared with those without it, including an imbalance in proteins involved in blood clotting and inflammation. What were some of the specific protein differences they found? People with long COVID had lower levels of a protein called antithrombin-3, which helps to prevent blood clots, and higher levels of the proteins thrombospondin-1 and von Willebrand factor, both of which are associated with clot formation. They also found that the expression of a protein called CD41 on white blood cells was highest in people who had 12-month-long COVID. This protein is typically found on platelets, and its presence on white blood cells indicates abnormal clumping of these cells, which could contribute to microclots. How does this study contribute to our understanding of long COVID and its potential treatment? The findings could open up new research regarding therapies that could help treat long COVID. However, the analysis involved only a relatively small number of participants, and it does not pinpoint the root cause of the condition, which has been a key barrier to developing treatments. Because long COVID involves such a range of symptoms, there are likely to be several underlying causes that affect people differently. Larger studies are needed to fully understand the mechanisms underlying these symptoms. This study certainly sheds new light on the complexities of long COVID. That was our health and science correspondent, Abby. Thank you for your insights. Nature has long been a source of inspiration for poets, thinkers, and writers, but it's not just the arts that draw from the natural world. 
scientists and inventors often look to nature to find innovative solutions for complex scientific and engineering problems. This process is known as biomimicry. Here to delve deeper into this fascinating field is our science correspondent, Michael. Michael, can you explain more about what biomimicry is and how it works? Absolutely, David. Biomimicry is essentially the practice of learning from and mimicking nature's forms, processes, and ecosystems to solve human problems. It's about taking inspiration from nature's time-tested patterns and strategies. The goal is to create sustainable solutions to our challenges by emulating nature's time-tested patterns and strategies. That's fascinating. Can you give us some examples of how biomimicry has been applied in science and engineering? Certainly, there are numerous examples of biomimicry in action. One of the most well-known is the design of wind turbines, which was inspired by the fins of humpback whales. These fins have bumps called tubercles on the leading edge, which increase lift and reduce drag. This design has been incorporated into wind turbines to increase their efficiency. Another example is the design of bullet trains, which was inspired by the beak of the kingfisher bird. The bird's beak is designed to dive into water with minimal splash, and this design has been used to reduce the noise and increase the speed of bullet trains. It's amazing to think that nature has already solved many of the problems we're trying to tackle. Are there any other examples you can share? Absolutely, David. The ventilation systems used in tall buildings are another great example. These systems are inspired by termite mounds. Termites build their mounds with a complex network of tunnels and vents that maintain a constant temperature inside, despite the fluctuating outside temperatures. Architects and engineers have used this design to create energy-efficient ventilation systems. It's even believed that the design of airplanes was inspired by the body structure of birds. It's clear that nature is full of inspiration and has the answers to many of the questions we have. That was our Simply Science correspondent, Michael. Thank you for enlightening us about the fascinating field of biomimicry. Each year, the Lindau Nobel Laureate Meeting in Germany brings together early career researchers from around the world to interact with Nobel laureates within a specific discipline. In 2023, the focus was on physiology and medicine. Four female researchers attending the event shared their career hopes and challenges, revealing common themes of career uncertainty, financial pressures, and the importance of mental health. Here to discuss more is our science correspondent, Charlotte. Charlotte, could you tell us more about these common themes and the unique challenges these early career researchers are facing? Absolutely, David. One of the researchers, Ifra Abdullahi, a child development and early intervention autism research fellow at La Trobe University in Australia, spoke about the turbulent funding system she highlighted the difficulties of bouncing from contract to contract, especially when making significant life decisions like starting a family or getting a mortgage. She also discussed the drop-off of women in academia post-PhD and the lack of support during crucial decision-making periods. That sounds like a significant challenge. What about the other researchers? What were their concerns? Piper Rodding, a pharmaceutical sciences PhD candidate at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, highlighted the mental health struggles many researchers face due to the cutthroat culture of science and engineering. She also noted the exodus from the academic path due to lack of job security and funding. 
Cottrell Tamasar, a reproductive biology PhD candidate at the University of Newcastle in Australia, discussed the leaky pipeline in academia and the need for more support for researchers transitioning into non-academic roles. Lastly, Prakriti Gupta, a pediatric critical care specialist in India, shared her dilemma of choosing between clinical work and basic research and the lack of formal infrastructure for physician scientist training in India. It's clear that these researchers are facing some significant challenges. What solutions or changes do they propose to address these issues? Abdullahi called for equal treatment of mothers in science and structural changes to aid career progression and increase leadership opportunities. Rodding emphasized the importance of developing a support network and addressing mental health issues in the research community. Tamasar suggested that academic institutions should work to ensure that highly skilled, academically trained people have opportunities outside academia. And Gupta expressed her hope to build a bedside bench, bedside career in India to help others facing similar career dilemmas. These are certainly complex issues that require thoughtful solutions. That was our Simply Science correspondent, Charlotte. Thank you for bringing these important concerns to light. Biotechnology, or biotech, clusters have evolved over time, and it appears that being a top biotech region in the early years still positively correlates with the cluster's biotech strength decades later. An entrepreneurial orientation of scientific actors and a variety of networks with partners outside the cluster both contribute to sustained biotech activity. Here to discuss more on this is our science correspondent, Stephen. Stephen, can you explain what a biotech cluster is and why it's important? Certainly, David. A biotech cluster is a geographic concentration of interconnected businesses, suppliers, and associated institutions in the field of biotechnology. These clusters are important because they promote competition and drive innovation. They provide a supportive environment for startups and established companies to collaborate, share knowledge, and develop new technologies. So, how does being a top biotech region in the early years correlate with the cluster's biotech strength decades later? Well, it seems that early success breeds long-term strength in the biotech sector. This could be due to a number of factors. For one, successful regions may attract more investment and talent over time, which helps to sustain their leading position. Additionally, these regions often develop strong networks of businesses and institutions that can support ongoing innovation and growth. And how do an entrepreneurial orientation of scientific actors and networks with partners outside the cluster contribute to sustained biotech activity? An entrepreneurial orientation of scientific actors means that scientists are not just focused on their research, but also on the practical applications of their work. They're looking at how their discoveries can be turned into products or services that can be commercialized. This entrepreneurial mindset can drive innovation and growth in the biotech sector. As for networks with partners outside the cluster, these can provide access to additional resources, knowledge, and markets. These external connections can help to stimulate new ideas and opportunities, further supporting the growth and development of the biotech cluster. That was our science correspondent from Simply Science, Stephen. Thank you for explaining the growth and importance of biotech clusters. All right, that wraps up our stories for today. Thanks for listening to Simply Science. We'll see you back here tomorrow.